Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Soon as her back was turned, Stanford grabbed her from behind and dragged her kicking and screaming into a storage room. Once inside, he had punched her in the face several times, knocking her to the floor. He had then handcuffed her hands and secured the door. What followed was the brutal rape he had been fantasizing about for as long as he could remember. This episode is sponsored by Good Ranchers. If you're anything like me, you know that good quality meat makes all the difference in your home-cooked meals. That's why I love Good Ranchers. They deliver 100% of American premium meat straight to my doorstep. Since I started using them, my barbecues have gone from great to phenomenal. If you're a foodie or just like a good steak, Check out Good Ranchers. It's a game changer for meal times. You can use the link in the description and help support the channel. Welcome to True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. On today's episode of Murder Monday, we dive into horrific rape and murder. Pride to be Stephanie Scott. Before we dive into today's episode, we'd like to remind you, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Just search True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Without further ado, let's dive into today's story. In April 2015, 26-year-old educator Stephanie Scott planned to stand, spend the day tying up loose ends in preparation for upcoming nuptials. In less than a week, she and her longtime love, 27-year-old Aaron Leeson Woolley, would be united as husband and wife. The much-anticipated wedding had monopolized most of her time. The blushing bride-to-be favored every minute of it. In order to make things easier for the substitute who would be taking over her classroom while she was away on honeymoon, Stephanie decided to spend this day at the school in Riverina, New South Wales. Mapping on a lesson plan, since her fiancé was out of town for the weekend, it seemed like the perfect time to take care of last-minute de- details. Seeing as it was Easter Sunday, Stephanie let herself into the locked facility using her passkey. Before getting down to business, she texted Aaron around 11 a.m. to let him know where she was in case he happened to come home earlier than expected. Though she didn't know it at the time, this would help investigators track her whereabouts after her good deed took an unexpected and tragic turn. 
Several hours later, Stephanie's parents, Marilyn and Robert, started to worry. Dinner time rolled around, and she was nowhere to be seen. After trying unsuccessfully to reach her by phone, they set out looking for her. At the same time that Stephanie's family was mounting their search, Aaron was also trying to get a hold of her. Get a hold of her. Setting off for home, he had spent most of the drive calling her number over and over again, only to have his efforts go straight to voicemail. When a pre-recorded voice informed him that the mailbox was full, he knew in his gut that something was terribly wrong. After anxiously waiting all night for a call from Stephanie that never came, Aaron contacted the police. Since she was an adult who was free to come and go as she pleased, authorities posed the possibility that she had left of her own volition. After learning that she was about to walk down the aisle, they suggested that perhaps she had gotten a case of cold feet and gone off on her own somewhere to think things over. Parents assured them that while that may be true of some people, their daughter would never have skipped town without telling them. Responsible and considerate of others, she would never hurt them in such a manner. Besides, which she was over the moon with happiness at the prospect of marrying Aaron, the love of her life. The notion that she would have thrown it all away on a whim was out of the question. The more they learned about Stephanie, the more officers came to believe that her parents were right. After getting in touch with Aaron and learning that she had been at the school earlier in the day, they decided to begin their investigation at her place of employment. Bright and early on Easter Monday, officers went to the school to trace Stephanie's steps. In the meantime, her family notified the local newspapers about her disappearance. Fearing that she had been in an accident and was unable to reach help, they hoped that somebody had seen something that would lead them to her. On speaking with school officials, investigators learned that a custodian named Vincent Stanford had likely been in the building at some point on Sunday, believing that he might know something about Stephanie's mo uh, movements on the day she went missing. Authorities made arrangements to bring him in for a sit-down interview. When they were informed that 24-year-old Stanford had an identical twin, investigators had to first determine who was who before zeroing in on a potential suspect. After speaking with the brothers, they sent Marcus, who had no connection to the school whatsoever, on his way. When he was asked about any interactions he may have had with Stephanie on Sunday, Stanford calmly explained that, while he would like to help, he hadn't seen her at all that day. He elaborated by saying that he had spent very little time at the school over the weekend choosing instead to while away the holiday practicing his hobby of photography, taking a break only to do a bit of grocery shopping. To back up his claims, he had privated the name of the supermarket he had visited on a fateful Easter afternoon. After checking with the store and learning that they had been closed in the observance of the Christian holiday, Stanford quickly became the focus of the investigation. When they asked to see the pictures he had taken on the day in question, he had handed over his cell phone without hesitation. As they scrolled through the gallery, two gruesome images of what appeared to be a smoldering human corpse caught their attention. When asked to explain himself, Stanford shrugged the photos off as screenshots he had taken from a horror movie. Convinced that they were sitting across the table from a cold-blooded killer, detectives placed a surprisingly nonchalant custodian under arrest. The following day, a search warrant was executed on the home Stanford shared with his mother and older brother in the town of Leap. Hidden in his bedroom, they found a pair of blood-stained handcuffs, a red bra that was later identified as belonging to Stephanie, as well as their school-issued set of keys. On Stanford's computer, investigators discovered evidence that someone, presumably their suspect, had frequented sites that catered to the dark underbelly of society who got pleasure out of watching women being subjected to sexual violence. 
Stephanie's red Mazda 3 was found abandoned in a field later that day. While there was still no sign of the vehicle's owner, investigators knew that they were getting ever closer to finding her, and that when they did, it wasn't going to be the outcome they had hoped for. Despite the mounting evidence against him, Stanford maintained his innocence, at least initially. Even so, with the aid of his carrier, investigators were able to track his cell phone on the day that Stephanie went missing. With this information in hand, they were directed to a remote area where they believed he had discarded her body. On Friday, April 10th, Stephanie's laptop was pulled from an irrigation canal on the outskirts of Lee. At 5 p.m., searchers discovered her charred remains in a remote area of Kokopara National Park. The day after Stephanie's body was recovered, knowing that they had him dead to rights, Stanford get full confession. The detail of his victim's last hours were the stuff of nightmares. Stanford recalled that he had known the moment he saw Stephanie sitting alone in her classroom that he was going to take her life. Since there was no way of knowing how long she would be on the premises, he knew that he would have to act fast. Rushing out the door, he had headed to his mother's house to collect the items he had purchased for just such an occasion. He was back at the school within an hour with what he referred to as his rape kit. Just as he was entering the building, he saw Stephanie heading towards the exit, keys in hand. As she passed by, she had smiled and told him that she was leaving. Before making her way to the locked front gate, she had cheerfully wished him a happy Easter. As soon as her back was turned, Stanford grabbed her from behind and dragged her kicking and screaming into a storage room. Once inside, he had punched her in the face several times, knocking her to the floor. He had then handcuffed her hands and secured the door. What followed was the brutal rape he had been fantasizing about for as long as he could remember. When he was finished, he struck Stephanie about the face and head another 30 or 40 times before plunging a knife into her throat. After making certain that she was dead, he had gone home and enjoyed a cheese sandwich and coffee with his family. Returning to the scene of the crime later that evening, Stanford had placed Stephanie's body in the trunk of her car before thoroughly cleaning the blood-covered storage area. When he was satisfied that he had committed the perfect crime, he drove home, parked the car in the back garden so it couldn't be seen from the road. After giving it some thought, he decided that he would dispose of the vehicle and the precious cargo it held after getting a good night's sleep. Early the next morning, he had driven 70 kilometers, approximately 43 miles. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Cocobara National Park, where he removed Stephanie's body from the trunk and laid it out on the ground. After covering her with kindling, he prepared to light her on fire. Before setting her ablaze, he had removed her cherished engagement and graduation ranks. He had also pocketed her driver's license to hinder identification should the remains ever be found. 
as the body of the beloved daughter, sister, fiance, and teacher of children was consumed by flames, he pulled out his phone and snapped pictures to commemorate the grisly occasion. Once the fire died down, he climbed into the car and drove back towards Lee. When he was eight kilometers from his destination, he pulled over and discarded the stolen Mazda in a field. When investigators asked what had motivated him to commit such heinous acts, he simply replied that he had no choice. As it turned out, he had been fighting the urge to kill since the age of seven. He marveled at the fact that he had held out as long as he did. He explained that he had been so overwhelmed with the thought of murder at the sight of Stephanie that he couldn't have stopped himself, even if he wanted to. Though he hadn't planned on harming anyone that day, finding her alone and vulnerable had spurred him to action. Stanford went on to say that the exceedingly vicious attack on Stephanie had allowed him to release pent-up hostilities that had been building inside him for years. His words convinced detectives that had he not been captured, he would surely have killed again. Having finally unleashed the beast he had been keeping at bay since childhood, there had been no going back. When a court-appointed psychologist evaluated Stanford, she learned that he possessed a deep hatred for the human race that affected every aspect of his life. He explained that he had taken a janitorial job because it allowed him to work at his own pace with very little supervision. The isolation in the position had perfectly suited his antisocial leanings. A report drawn up for the court's benefit also noted that Stanford couldn't stand to be touched and would recoil from any well-meaning attempts at physical contact. His basic view of those around him seemed to be that most people were detestable and the world would be better off without them. Giving the psychologist a glimpse into his dark soul, he claimed that the violent attack on Stephanie had meant so little to him that he had all but forgotten the entire episode by the time the investigators came knocking on his door. To drive home the point that his victim's life had meant nothing to him shortly after Stephanie was reported missing, Stanford had alleged laughed when he overheard one of her colleagues mention that she was to be married in a few days. The inside joke, of course, was that he knew she wouldn't be walking down the aisle as planned. He had seen to it. The more he spoke, the more it became apparent that the person Stanford hated most of all was himself. A ball of tension at all times, he shared that he would often engage in self-harm in order to let out the pressure that threatened to destroy him inside out. On the day he killed Stephanie, he had made the conscious decision to transfer all of his bottled up rage onto her. A look into his background revealed that Stanford had always been temperamental, often exploding in fits of rage at the drop of a hat. He had also been prone to stalking and harassing members of the opposite sex. Ill-equipped emotionally to engage in a healthy, consensual relationship, he would watch a woman from afar, day and night, trying to figure out ways to make them his. Although he hadn't acted on his impulses, Stanford admitted that he had stalked a 12-year-old girl in Leeton for several months before turning his attention elsewhere. He recalled that he had planned to abduct her when the time was right, but had abandoned the idea of the repercussions of what would happen to him if things went awry had snapped him back into reality. There had been at least two adult victims as well. While his actions of frightening in hindsight at the time, potential targets had been blissfully unaware that they had caught the eye of a madman who was a ticking time bomb looking for a place to explode. While Stanford sat in jail awaiting trial, his brother Marcus came under police scrutiny. When they had first spoken with him, he had assured them that he had no idea what was happening, what had happened to the missing teacher. After hearing his brother's version of events, investigators felt that he wasn't nearly as ignorant as he wanted them to believe. When they brought Marcus back in for questioning on May 30th, 
Detectives hammered away at him about what became of Stephanie's rings, which had not turned up during the search of Stanford's residence back in April. Though he stuck to his denials, they were able to glean from his computer searches that he had looked online for places to sell jewelry near Adelaide four days after Stephanie's remains were found. On June 10th, Marcus was arrested and charged with being an accessory to murder, as a fact, when a business card found among his belongings was traced to a jewelry store in Adelaide, where someone had pawned Stephanie's rings on May 9th for the tidy sum of $705. Nine months later, on March 31, 2016, Marcus pleaded guilty to selling the rings and burning the driver's license at his brother's behest, but not before taking a picture of it and saving it to his phone. It seemed that capturing morbid images reigned in the family. While Marcus was certainly no saint, he did appear to be sorry for his actions, apologizing time and again for his involvement in the cover-up, although it was no excuse, claimed that he had acted solely out of loyalty to his twin brother. As punishment for his crimes, he was ordered to spend the next 15 months behind bars. He was released in September 2016 after serving less than half of his sentence. Today, Marcus lives with his father, Stephen, in a rural, rural area from Leap. The move to the country had been prompted by the many threats they received from locals, who considered them a blight, otherwise peaceful community. Still living in the shadows of the events of April 2015, they keep to themselves venturing out only when it's absolutely necessary. While the public's anger at Marcus is understandable, Stephen had no part in either of his son's wrongdoing. A law-abiding citizen who had been estranged from the twins for much of their lives, he cut ties with Benson after learning that he was Stephanie's killer. He hasn't spoken to him in years and apparently has no plans to do so in the future. As for Marcus, he has continuously tried to make amends by apologizing to Stephanie Stephanie's loved ones at every opportunity. He insists that if he had to do it over, he would act differently. Currently, he spends his time taking care of his father, whose health is faltering. His loyalty to his sibling, now a thing of the past. He no longer communicates with the brother who is the epitome of an evil twin, if there ever was one. In July of 2016, Vincent Stanford pleaded guilty to murder, aggravated a sexual assault, and infliction of bodily harm before the NSW Supreme Court. On November 14th of that year, he was sentenced to life on the murder charge, plus 15 years for aggravated rape. The deciding judges had made a point of stating for the record that the killer's shocking lack of remorse had weighed heavily in their decision. While parole is technically possible down the line, legal experts agree that he will more than likely die in prison. While awaiting the day he's carried from his cell in a pine box, Stanford's notoriety has forced prison officials to treat him with kid gloves. In order to protect him from other inmates, he is allowed to shower alone to avoid any sort of contact. He also eats his meals in an area set aside just for him. I'm sure that everyone sleeps a bit easier knowing that this cold-blooded killer is safe from harm, while his innocent victim lies prematurely in her grave. On Saturday, April 11, 2015, on what would have been Stephanie and Aaron's wedding day, her family held a celebration of her life in a local park. With everyone decked out in yellow attire, her favorite color, they invited the entire community to be part of a day of laughter and joy in honor of the young woman who had spent happiness everywhere she went. As if the Scots hadn't suffered enough, three weeks after Vincent Stafford's sentencing, Stephanie's father Robert was killed in a freak accident at the family's country home. In a cruel twist of fate, he was struck by a falling tree as he was clearing the wooded area. The 59-year-old reti retired educator died on impact, 
believing that Stephanie's murder could have been prevented, her son, survivors filed a civil lawsuit against the NSW Education Department, as well as the third-party agency who had contracted out Stanford. Their ultimate goal wasn't financial gain, but rather to see to it that more stringent hiring methods are put in place to ensure that individuals who pose a danger to others don't fall through the cracks. The case was settled in 2021, though the terms were not disclosed to the public. For their part, school representatives noted that they had performed a criminal background check on Stanford that had come up clean. Even so, they agreed to follow stricter guidelines in the future in an attempt to weed out the bad apples. In a story filled with more sorrow than most, there is one ray of hope. In 2022, Aaron announced that he had found love again. What's more, he and the new woman in his life, Samantha, are engaged to be married. Having been the hill and back, thanks to the selfish actions of an individual who is more mustard than man, perhaps he will finally get the happily ever after he deserves. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. What is your thoughts on this case? Of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our videos. And if you want to support the channel, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, and hopefully take this show on the road. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleeps. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your law Lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.